Of course, like every other teenage kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. When I was 16 years old, I took off and drove across the country to Wyoming, went into the Wind River Range and discovered mountains. In 1973, Yvonne Chouinard founded Patagonia. I never wanted to be a businessman. All I wanted to do was do my craft and climb mountains. So then I had to figure out a way to where I was going to be a businessman, but I was going to do it completely on my own terms. Build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. Join us at Patagonia.com. Welcome to the Dirtbag Diaries, a duct tape and beer production, with additional support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Chaco. Can you give me a tour? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I moved in back in July. It's a little bit warmer out then. Uh, so, yeah, this is like kind of my sitting room or my study. It's also Kessler's bedroom. Um, uh, nice, good lighting for reading up here. But I'll give you a tour of the rest of the house real quick. Uh, this here is my kitchen. Um, kind of small, but it's nice. It, it had been an industrial place to begin with. My buddy and I found it. We started renovating it. And, um, it's all custom cabinetry. We've got a burner here. And it's a work in progress. You know, remodels always are, but, you know, it's, it's coming along. Uh, yeah, we got this bamboo flooring put in. It's having, you know, a dog, it keeps things nice during the winter. You can just mop it all out. It's really easy. Um, back over here, uh, let's take you over to the bedroom. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's nice and cozy. As you can see from the windows, you got a nice view of the backyard and the neighbor's place. It's pretty, really pretty this time of year. Can you stretch out all the way? It's funny you say that. No, not, not quite all the way. Um, kind of have to sleep angled or on my side, you know, um, let me get, uh, take you down to the basement, show you where I keep all my stuff stored. Um, yeah, uh, so typical basement, you just got like your climbing gear, your crash pads. Can you stand up all the way in here? Uh, it's funny you mention it. No, not, not really. As you can see, I'm kind of maxed out with my shoulders hitting the, the roof here. Uh, but it's not bad. So, uh, show me around the neighborhood. Oh yeah, let's go ahead and take a walk. I think Kessler could use one. This is my friend Randy. He lives in a van. I like to pretend sometimes at nighttime that the white noise is a river. In Seattle. <laughs> which comes with its own set of inconveniences. There were quite a few, uh, what you call them, run-ins with the police. <laughs> Uh, it, it's tough sometimes. You can't sleep in parks, I found out really quickly. We got uh, evicted, I guess you'd say, from our first sight. But in a lot of other ways, the van made sense. My rent was about to go up. I already paid a ton of money for insurance for my car. Living in the city is not cheap. I was also going to get laid off in the fall, and I figured why not get the van, start decking it out for my road trip I had planned for the winter. It's the only way I think I could have afforded it. I mean, student loans and credit card debt and everything stacks up. And then next thing you know, you're just eking by after you pay rent and get groceries. So I think the van life is the only way. The question of how to feed yourself, put a roof over your head, and get from point A to point B without working so much 
you don't have time to climb, to ski, to kayak, to live your passions, it's not a new predicament. We've talked a lot about it on the show. It's not unique to our outdoor community. It's something that a lot of people struggle with. The average American spends a third of their income on housing, almost as much as the next two greatest expenses, food and transportation combined. To play more, you have to work less. To work less, you have to cut costs. Theoretically, if you just stop paying for housing, you could work a third less. You could earn a living working three days a week or like Randy, two thirds of the year. Today, Dirtbag Diaries producer Jen Altschul brings you a story about the pursuit of snow, world domination, and cheap rent. It's imperfect. Just like van life, it comes with inconveniences, trade-offs. But when it comes down to it, what would you rather trade in? Convenience or time spent chasing dry rock and fluffy snow? I'm Fitzko Hall, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. This time is the only time One frame going over and over I'm going to take over the world. I figure about a dozen monkeys would be enough to have a crew to run out each year and just slowly take over ridge by ridge by ridge. This is Tony Detmer. Most people know him as Treehouse Tony. When he talks about monkeys, he's talking about dirtbags. And when he talks about his plot for world domination by monkeys one ridge line at a time, he's talking about treehouses. It all started about 30 years ago in Ohio. <laughs> I've had three tree houses. Built my first one when I was oh, probably 12 or something. My parents redid their deck in their backyard, and we had a tree that we always monkeyed around. It was a sycamore tree that got struck by lightning. So it had this great big hollow section in the top. It had a rope and a pole and little three-deck thing. Not quite up to code, but that was the first try. Uh, the second one I built, we moved to Misery for a couple years, and right on the Mississippi, oldest town west of the Mississippi, and that one had an upstairs and wall-to-wall carpet, and actually had walls and windows and doors, and that was the, the first one that was kind of a structure. Tony graduated from high school and moved west, abandoning the treehouse. He spent eight years taking classes at the University of Washington before they finally told him to pick a major or get out. He got out and drove up into the Cascades. I've always loved snow. Back in Ohio, snow meant you got a bonus day off of school. Once I got to a real mountain, it was... He got a job at the local ski resort. Determined to live cheap and play more, He lived out of his Nissan Pathfinder in the resort parking lot until they offered him a spot in employee housing. His first couple of summers, he worked odd jobs in nearby Leavenworth, then moved to Bainbridge Island with a few buddies. We were working on a sailboat, trying to get it ready to go try a little world tour thing. Never made it quite that far, but we spent a couple summers working on this boat in the place where I was staying at one plug. So I could have my fridge and a radio or a fridge and a light. I only could have two things at any given time. And I kind of got used to no bathroom, no shower, and no power. It's like, okay, you don't really need all this stupid stuff. The following winter, his friends came to visit him on the mountain. They were smitten. 
and decided that they had to find a piece of property up there. Within a week, he found this piece right here. They were asking, I think, 56. We offered 20. They took it, and it's our sense. Tony knew from the moment he walked onto the property that the forested three-and-a-half-acre plot just down the highway from the resort would be the site of his third treehouse. I just knew when I got here that I didn't want to shovel. This much snow, the only way to go is to get up off the ground unless you want to shovel down every inch of it. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I just started with taking out the little trees that were in the way in the neighborhood and then started building up with whatever I had. I don't think I even had a tape measure. I definitely didn't have a skill saw. I still didn't have a headlamp. A lot of the cuts I was making was with chainsaw at night, trying to use a candle to see. It almost just built itself. It, it was just ridiculous. I mean, it'd be within days of me eating something. Some of you go, oh, dude, I've got this big pile of tin. Do you need roofing? And everything. I really didn't buy anything but fasteners and nails and screws and stuff like that. It was October when he finished gathering materials. Working every day and often into the night, Tony managed to finish the walls of his third treehouse just as the snow began to fall. The grand total, including labor, supplies, cedar paneling for a sauna, appliances, and a diesel generator, $6,000. He works three days a week during the winter and still has enough cash to buy new snowboarding gear. The other four days, he spends exploring the backcountry with his dog. I can walk out my front door, put on my skins, and I've got three mountains to choose from. I can be at the top of any of them inside of an hour, hour and a half, and it's doesn't get any better. When we bought the property originally, our plan was to put some cabins on it. When we bought it, it was commercial. Put in our applications and they just buried us in red tape and switched to residential. It's like, nope, I'm not going to let you do it. Me, I've always had wanted the Ewok Village is here. I visited the Treewalk Village one rainy weekend this March. I parked in the nearest lot and met Tony and Dan, the owner of one of the two other small suspended homes that now accompany Tony's. We walked a third of the mile down the shoulder of the highway, passed through a shoulder-width slot carved out of the six-foot snowbank, then down a set of stairs shoveled into the snow-covered hillside. Plumes of smoke drifted lazily up from the chimneys of the three tree houses, nestled in a row on the hillside that runs down from the freeway to a rushing creek. I followed Dan up to the treehouse on the far left. Four years ago, he built the cozy one-room home with his then-wife. His story sounds remarkably similar to Tony's. We had kind of been like, okay, you know, let's do like this real job thing and see how that is, and, and quickly realized that it just wasn't for us. And so we left our city jobs, decided to just bail on the house, get seasonal jobs that we wanted, that we liked. Their second summer, they started working as raft guides in Alaska and got their first taste of living off the grid. After a while, we were like, huh, this really isn't too bad, and we could do something like this back home for the winters. 
you know, like save some money on rent, have a pretty neat experience to get to like create something ourselves. They came home and talked to Tony. He gave them the go-ahead, and a month later, they'd built and moved into their new $2,000 home. Dan has since moved out. Ian, a friend and fellow mountain employee, has taken over residency. Yeah, you want to take a look inside? Yeah. And then I knocked on Tony's door. Tony's treehouse looks like it came off the page of a Dr. Seuss book. And Tony, in a purple base layer and purple beanie capped over his shoulder-length blonde hair, looks like he might have come with it. The structure towers four and a half stories high. Every few years, he gets inspired, collapses the existing roof, turns it into the floor for the next story, and up he goes. Each level has its own front and back porch, decorated by the occasional barbecue. An epic, experts-only rope swing launches from the highest porch and swings out over the snow-covered creek. The last person who tried broke a femur. Tony started the tour on the bottom floor, an immaculately constructed cedar sauna. The planks in one of the walls form three embedded diamonds, the planks in another a mountain ridge line. To access the second floor, you either take one of the steep, crisscrossing outdoor staircases or climb an interior staircase, steep enough it could probably pass as a ladder, pop open a trap door in the carpeted floor of the second story, mantle onto the floor, then crawl up over a couch into a warm room with a kitchenette heated by a small wood stove. On the third floor, another wood stove heats a well-lit room with a large television hanging from rafters that double as an epic cat playground. One of the crossbeams holds a wall-to-wall library of Star Wars books. The fourth story, really just the loft, is where Tony sleeps on his hanging bed. One final staircase leads up to a small storage area in the true peak of the structure. Tony figures he'll build that out into a full fifth story sooner or later. At times I'm just like, oh, I gotta, I gotta do some more, I gotta build more, I gotta change this, fix that. And, and then I sit and think about how much... I've already done. It's like, dude, just sit down, read your book. The snow's on the outside, you're on the inside. You're warm, just be happy with it. The whole thing sounds like the dirtbag dream. And in a lot of ways, it is. No commute to work or to play on the mountain. Practically free housing. Less work, more time to play. But treehouse life comes with its own set of trade-offs. There's nothing easy about living up here. Six people so far have tried and failed. I challenge anybody to try parking their car a quarter mile from their house for everything they do. There's obviously no road access, no water, no electricity. Gallon jugs quart jugs, any juice containers. I go down to my buddy's house, fill them up with water, and drag them in. And drag them in, and drag them in. To run to the store for six-packers, I think, is no small task. Lack of a social life. You also feel kind of isolated, too. I mean, it's It's a little scary, especially in the dark. You come out the door, and every hair on the back of your neck stands up. You're like, ooh, something's looking at me like food. And you just, ah... But they all agree that one hassle far outweighs the rest. Snow. Yeah, it's the everything here. It 
It decides whether people show up, whether you have work, whether or not you even bother wanting to get out of bed in the day. And then how often do they cut the bank? Cause, I mean, that's what most of the snow is. It's just all that, the highway still getting pushed up and dropped over by that plow. Or Sometimes road. just getting out, trying to climb up the bank. Oh God, you're just wallowing and can't touch. You can't move. You're trying to go up and you're, you can't push off of anything. You're just swimming in frozen health. So close to tears. As chance would have it, just across the creek from the Tree Walk Village lies a neighborhood of expensive vacation homes. You can actually see the mansion-like structures from the windows of the tree houses. They have, I'd say, on the average, two sleds per house and a snowcat per cabin. It's hard to sit over here with candles and flashlights and going, damn it, my phone's going to die. My phone's going to die. And they're over there with five million lumen lights shining up the whole bridge. She's though the creek, metaphorically, divides the life the tree walks have chosen from the classic American dream. And so I asked Tony, with all of the inconveniences of tree walk life, if he could cross the creek, would he? Nah, that's not my style. I wouldn't mind having a little bit of power. I wouldn't mind running an extension cord across the creek, make it a little easier to charge up my damn cell phone and watch a movie or something. But no, nah, that's, that's not me. All my siblings are six figures and brilliant. And me, I just, I can't do it. I won't trade my life. It should be easy. Oh, so easy. I would like a few more monkeys. Despite the difficulty in finding folks tough enough, skilled enough, and determined enough to join him on his side of the creek, Tony's still determined to expand the Tree Walk Village. Probably be like one shack each summer, slowly taking over ridges, and I think, I'd say within five years of actually doing something, we could have places all over the world. People, I think, will copy it once they figure out, oh, that's awesome. I think that'll kind of start the network all by itself. If you have your little tree walk card, and you, oh, yeah, I'm going down to Australia, hang out with the tree walks down there, and have all kinds of cool places on the beach so you can go surfing. And you can kind of mix and match your sports, and you have a good core group to draw upon and share resources. And it's such a low-budget crew, you kind of gotta, gotta have some help sometimes. I, oh, I, I know we have so much potential to do wonderful things. You just kind of have to take your piece of, of life, make it your own, make it your individual style, make it your expression on the world. We need to have a few more people acquire their freedom. And this is my version of freedom. Music today by Angie and the Car Wrecks, Hermonica Lewinsky, Brave Max, Black Pistol Fire, and Ken Christensen. Most music courtesy of Mebio's Music Alley. You can find links to the artists on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Support for the diaries comes from you. 
Whether it's a pledge contribution, a story idea, a t-shirt order, or an email of thanks, you keep the diaries thriving. If you want to help, you can find all the necessary links on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Thank you so much for your contributions. The diaries would not be possible without the good people at Patagonia. Their new feature-length film, Damnation, begins its national tour tomorrow in Logan, Utah. It's amazing, so check it out. Visit patagonia.com for any upcoming screenings in a town near you. The cherry blossoms are blooming. We've actually had a couple of sunny days in Seattle, so sandal season is right around the corner. Visit chacos.com to create your own custom sandals or to help them celebrate their 25th anniversary by entering their heritage and photo contest. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. And from Kuat Racks, the little company that believe they could make a better bike rack with their fellow riders in mind. See their full lineup of roof racks, hitch racks, and gear baskets at kuatracks.com. We're about to take ours to the desert. Slick Rock, here we come. This episode of The Diaries was produced by Jen Alchel and Becca Cahal. I'm Fitz Cahal. Thanks for listening. <laughs>